It's Monday, June 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Muzzer. Uh, happy Monday. Happy Monday, indeed. Good starting week. to warm up out there. Starting to warm up, but still a nice weekend, nice breeze on Sunday. It was. You know, I took the girls to the pool yesterday with their friends, and it was just cool enough. Our pool is, you know, it's it's got some nice shade to it, but it was just cool enough to wear. I mean, they jumped in the pool, and, and it was, you know, just like... Um, might as well have just been jumping into an ice pond. I mean, the water's just really cold. Yeah. And, I mean, it just uh, you couldn't have paid me to get in it. But <laughs> I just sat there and read. Go ahead, kids. I just sat there and read and just, you know, made sure no one caused any trouble. That is one of the – just the little thing about parenting that nobody really talks about because it's, it, it's not that big a deal until it happens to you. When your kids get old enough, and in this case, it's they're old enough and they're proficient enough at swimming that I don't need to be in the pool with them. I don't need oh, to watch yeah. them. It's like, oh, I can actually go to the pool and yeah. not be in the ice-cold water. It's a beautiful thing. It is. Uh, we're going to talk about Apple because the Worldwide Developer Conference kicks off today. We're going to talk about what some of the big restaurant chains are looking into. But we're going to start with Sears. Here's the good news. The first quarter loss was smaller than expected. That's the good news. The fact that Sears lost $300 million in the quarter is good because everyone on Wall Street was expecting them to lose even more. Mm -hmm. And you tell me, is this going to work? Later this week, Sears is expecting to get approval from the SEC to spin off 235 locations, Sears and Kmart locations, into a real estate investment trust. That they, Sears, will, will as early as Friday look to sell shares of that REIT yep. to existing shareholders. Is everybody thoroughly confused? I, I, I'm just wondering. <laughs> well, tell me what you think, and then I'll tell you what I'm wondering. Well, so I guess the the thing, the way I've always looked at Sears here for the past couple of years, you just remember the Price is Right. And there's a game on the prices, right, called Cliffhangers, where it's got the little guy just going up the mountain, and it's like the yodeling song as he goes along. And you got to get the price right so you can stop him before he gets up and goes off the cliff. And I feel like Sears, I feel like Eddie Lampert's that guy who just can't quite get that price right. And this thing is just teetering on the edge, right? I mean, I don't think Sears is going, it's not imploding, but but really this has become you know less a retail story and more a story about how they're just going to extract value for shareholders and really and buy some time, more or less. And so, uh, ultimately, Ultimately, what they're doing, as you mentioned, they're going to spin off this REIT, um, Seritage, I think it's called, or something like that. And the idea is to sell all of these properties to the Real Estate Investment Trust, and then they'll lease them back in order to be able to kind of continue operating the the retail locations, and then the, the Real Estate Investment Trust will benefit from its tax-preferred status. And together, hopefully, financially, they can buy some time and, and continue to to try to make this story work. The the biggest problem though is when you look at this, I mean at its core Sears is a retail play, right? I mean it's it's we grew up with Sears and it's just not it's not relevant like it once was. Uh, so they they're making the effort to try to be a bit more modern, jump into the 21st century with the Sears shop your way concept and that is where they become less dependent on the physical locations and more um, about Meeting their customers where their customers are. So whether it's the physical location or you know e-commerce, you know they're they're incorporating some two-day shipping into the mix there, and so they're they're more or less just kind of playing that game of catch-up to Amazon. Uh, and, and honestly, I don't know I don't know how Sears really works this out because I feel like at this point, I mean they've they've they have no mind share with any up-and-coming generation. And so, when you're not relevant, 
with really the generations that are going to be mattering here over the next 10, 20, 30 years, it's really difficult to jump in there and try to convince people, you need to come back to us because because you've got companies out there like Amazon and even Home Depot and Lowe's to an extent because they've focused so much on building out that e-commerce platform that are so far ahead at this point. Um, you know, so this has become more a story about uh, figuring out a way to return value to shareholders, buying some more time to, to see if we can't, you know, make this a more viable business. I mean, you hear a lot of catchphrases like unlocking value. And and so I mean, this is one of those special situation investments where I'm not saying it's impossible to win from this investment, but I think this is the type of investment that most Investors are uh, better off just just steering clear. Well, and they're they're going to get some money, obviously, out of the re- assuming yeah. all of this gets approved. Uh, Two point six billion, I think, is what I. I saw. think well, that along with some joint ventures of some mall partners, it's going to be more in the neighborhood of about three billion. So, I mean, again, you're right. That'll capitalize Sears' balance sheet and give them a chance to sort of you know figure out how to uh, how to move forward, but. You know, we've we've made that that argument before, where you have some of these businesses out there, like like Amazon, for example. And if, if Amazon, if I said, hey, here's two hundred billion dollars, now go figure out how to unseat this company. I mean, it's not just money anymore, right? There's there's a lot more to it than money, and um, and so I think that's that's you know they're facing a number of different challenges. Well, and we've talked before about how much uh, leeway investors. And Wall Street analysts will give a particular management team, and I think in the case of Sears, assuming everything works out the way they wanted to this week, great, they're going to get this chunk of money. But I think that they are going to get three to six months at the most to prove that they know what to do with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't even know that they really deserve that. I mean, quite honestly, when you look at the income statement, I mean, this, this. The top line has literally been like that prices right. I mean, it just fell off a cliff a long time ago. I, I actually am a little bit interested in the real estate investment trust side of it because I mean Eddie Lampert is not a dumb guy. He's a smart guy, um, and so if this is sort of a changing of of the story from Sears the retail play to you know maybe a real estate investment trust that's just getting its its feet underneath it, uh, that that actually could be kind of interesting because if it's something where they can expand their portfolio beyond just the Sears name into other properties. Uh, you never know. I mean, th- those are those are very high yielding uh, instruments there that that could certainly benefit shareholders looking for a sort of an income investment. Last month, McDonald's said it was going to stop reporting same store sales uh, in July. And if you've seen the comps that they've been putting up in the United States lately, uh, you know why they're going to stop reporting <laughs> same store sales. Uh, February negative four percent. March. Negative three point nine percent. April negative two point three, and this most recent month May that came out this morning negative two point two. Kind of like with Sears, the the loss is getting smaller, uh, but I think it's a really good decision they've made to decide we're we're just not going to be putting this number out there anymore. Absolutely, I mean I think they they were spot on in doing that. I mean there's no reason for them to be this granular. I mean I think for the longest time. You know they were doing that, and that was sort of the expectation that was set upon them from Wall Street. And and the problem, I mean, it's okay when the times are good, but when the times are bad, I mean, you know, 
you're just going to have to continue to answer to to Wall Street's analysts' sort of questions and expectations. This gives them a little time. It buys them a little time to try to, you know, try to turn this thing around. I, I, I mean, it's always nice to see a month that is less bad than was expected, but obviously you want to see months in the positive. And and I mean, they can thank Europe for the performance. I was going to say this, Europe this the, month. They put up some good numbers, right? And and I mean, I, I think that you know the one one thing about McDonald's is very attractive. It truly is a global play. And I think that uh, you know when you see weakness in one market, you can you can offset that with strength in another. I mean, for the for the longest time though, we've been seeing a lot of weakness in all of these markets. And you know, I mean, I, I feel like you know they want to they want to make this leap into becoming a progressive burger company, but they're not. In order in order to do that, you have to introduce new products and and get those products on the menu and leave them there. So I mean, I see a lot of these commercials with these products that they're. Uh, putting on the menu for a limited time, right? These these sirloin burgers or whatever, but for a limited time only. And I'm like, well, I mean, okay, is that your testing? Or are you trying to figure out what people like? Uh, because I mean, Five Guys, you know, that's that's not rocket science. There, I mean, you're just going there and they're just giving you a burger made out of good ingredients, and you can cater that burger however you want. It's pretty simple. And I mean, it seems like McDonald's is really making this a lot tougher than it has to be. Um, and and then when you see things like the McLobster roll on the Canadian menu, I mean, have you heard of this? Oh Lord! McLobster. I mean, I wouldn't give my dog this, okay? <laughs> and and then poutine, like, do you know what that is? Yes. So that's like French fries covered in gravy and cheese curds. Yeah. Now I'm sure that's probably good in some setting, but I, I don't know that I want McDonald's serving me that either. And, and think about just the logistics in in managing that menu. So I mean, I think those are the kinds of things they really need to steer away from because no one's going to look at that with really any sort of they're not going to give it much credibility. I don't Why think. would you try and execute something like a McLobster roll? Well, in in a in in Canada, where presumably, certainly in parts of Canada, they've got access to lobster. And well, then that's what I. If they come out and say, "Hey, you know what? We're coming out with a McLobster roll. We're going to try it in Iowa and Nebraska." Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least you're talking. <laughs> but even then, see, that's a catch twenty two because then you're stuck in this sort of landlocked situation. Where you're like, well, how, how good can the seafood really be, right? No, so, I mean, true. either way, I don't know. They they probably need to be dabbling in seafood any which way you look at it. Uh, one of the things McDonald's is testing is delivery. We've talked about Starbucks and Chipotle beginning to test those concepts, and now Dunkin' Brands has come out and said they're going to start testing delivery. Um, we were talking about this earlier. I think this is something that, first of all, three companies, in the case of Starbucks, Chipotle, and Dunkin' Brands, that have done pretty well over the last couple of years. Obviously, with Chipotle and Starbucks, in terms of the stock, those have been very good performers for longer periods of time. I don't think this is a slam dunk for any of these companies. No. That being said, I think that in certain situations, this could work. But I, but, but it strikes me as one of those tests that they really need to nail it when they're going to roll it out. And Nigel Travis, who's the CEO and chairman at Duncan Brands, has talked about their plan to do a very private test. They're yeah. really keeping it quiet. Maybe if that goes well later this fall, they'll do something a little bit more publicly. And then if that works, 2016 is when they're going to roll it out. I feel like that's the way to go, but it it strikes me as something that needs to be highly successful every step of the way, whether it's Dunkin' Brands, Starbucks, Chipotle, or McDonald's. Yeah, and I mean, I think we've we've talked about it before with Starbucks in that they are testing those kinds of things out in very uh, highly populated areas. So something you know, like a big city where um, it's it's pretty easy for them to get from point A to point B. 
And and I think with Dunkin' Donuts, that's going to have to be that's going to have to be something that's taken into consideration. I mean, I don't know that they're going to be looking at you know making deliveries like into the suburbs for donuts or coffee. I mean, I, I know that you know beverages make up more than more than sixty percent of their sales anyway. So I, you know, donuts obviously are a part of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we are becoming more, more and more a mobile society, and, and there is more emphasis on uh, customer convenience than ever before. I mean, I you know I kind of feel like at some point. Maybe we're a little lazy. Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I just. I, I don't want to walk to get my dozen no, donuts. I, mean, I, I want I, someone to deliver them I don't to me. I feel like crossing the street over there to go get my coffee from Starbucks anymore. Um, and I mean, you know, with Chipotle, for example, they're they're partnering up with Postmates to try to see how uh, how you know robust that delivery might be. But also, you know, Chipotle is typically going to be a higher dollar ticket. I mean, even if you're just one person ordering from Chipotle, it's going to be a ten, eleven, twelve dollar ticket versus Dunkin' Donuts, which if you're just one person, more than likely it's going to be five, six, seven, something like that. Um, and, and so that's something that needs to be taken into consideration because maintaining a delivery infrastructure is not cheap. And and so you know you see companies like Amazon, for example, that are that are testing out ways to maybe use Uber uh, in that regard. And maybe that's something that's out there for these guys as well. I'm not sure. But again, I mean, it, this is obviously very early days. They're looking at at uh, pursuing that just like their competitors are because there is. I like how they view that as an opportunity. I mean, there is an opportunity there. And and we we say it all the time. These businesses that are so customer centric. You know, they are the businesses that really, really do succeed over long periods of time because you breed uh, such a phenomenal customer loyalty. And, and Dunkin' Donuts certainly does have that already. Well, and it it points to the greater and greater importance of having a mobile app that really works, not just for the customers, but for the business too. Because the more you learn about your customers' habits from their mobile ordering. The better you can design delivery systems, no question, that not only work for your customers but also make you money. Yeah. Because that's the thing: if if Chipotle just decides to roll out delivery in certain areas, and they've set it up in such a way that it's profitable regardless of how big it gets, then as a shareholder, you have to be happy about that. Where if they if they're able to design it in such a way where they say, "Look, if we get uh, a slight bump." Then we get a slight bump in profitability. If this ends up being huge, then we've figured out an economic model that's going to work for us. No question. I mean, the mobile mobile technology is allowing for that. And you look at companies like Starbucks that have done so well in building out their app to date. It provides them with so much information, and and not to mention you know the ability to load cash on that card as a consumer. It gives Starbucks a lot of capital up front. To reinvest in the business and try try new things, and I mean, I think Chipotle viewed it very much the same way with catering. I mean, catering was just seen as a way of adding a new service in shop. It's just going to be an incremental driver of, of, of revenue, and if it's something that down the road becomes more significant, well, hey, that's great too. And if it's something that proves to be in such high demand that we have to open up little Chipotle catering shops, well, maybe we could do that too. Um, it, it's all about testing and learning, and, and really just making sure you're giving your customers what they want. As I mentioned, uh, Apple kicks off its worldwide developer conference today in San Francisco. One thing that is widely expected is that Apple is going to introduce a new music streaming service. Yep. And then you can just, you know, if this is a movie, you just cut to a chart of Pandora shares falling a little <laughs> bit. Um, what are you watching? What are you looking for besides the music service? Well, so the music service I thought was very interesting. You know, I've, I've felt like leading up to this, I feel like the Apple Watch has been more or less kind of a diversion 
to this point. I mean, I'm, it's not to rag on the product, but I'm sure it's a very good product. Um, I'm just not sure of the market that's actually out there for it. And really, what Apple needs to figure out um, is how to become less reliant on just the hardware and, and you know grow more of that services revenue stream. Uh, because you know, if you, if you look at the way this company's made its money, I mean, software and services made up less than ten percent of overall revenue in two thousand and fourteen. Now in two thousand and twelve, it was a bit more than eight percent. So they've certainly grown it a little bit. But we've talked a lot about sort of this this move towards music streaming and how it's affecting uh, music downloads. I mean, people are are less and less paying for downloaded music and more and more moving towards the streaming services like Pandora and Spotify, to name a couple. Um, in Apple, they made an initial effort with that iTunes radio uh, to be able to participate in that a little bit. You know, as, as someone who tried that product out, I didn't think it was that good. I thought it was very redundant and it wasn't very intuitive. Um, and you you can use Pandora, obviously. You could pay for a subscription. Or Isn't you that a little pay. surprising, by the way? When you when you think about how intuitive something like the iPhone is. It's a little surprising that iTunes Radio would not be. I, w- I was a, I was a little surprised by that, but but not terribly because I just don't think it's that simple to build something like that. I mean, I think I think that you know we've seen the the struggles that Pandora and Spotify continue to have. I mean, they're good businesses that that are bringing in lots of sub- subscribers, but they're obviously not profitable and and you know one of the reasons for that is because the music industry is such a tough gig i mean if the royalties game there is just a nightmare it seems and, and so you know if apple's able to work something out there to where they can offer a good robust catalog of of music of on demand music of potential radio personalities whatever it may be because you also have to remember they're also going up against things like Sirius XM and in Sirius XM i mean it was interesting i was driving down uh, when when i went to georgia a couple weeks ago and rented a car at the airport and we were driving down and the car that i had rented at the airport was equipped with Sirius XM radio on it and i just found it to be very enjoyable because there are a lot of different cha- uh, channels you could listen to there um, and so i think that you know with, with apple i'm I'm a little on the fence about how well they'll they'll do this, uh, you know, pull this the streaming service off. I mean, I think they have all the talent in line, um, but but it's just you know they are again playing catch up in this regard. I mean, Spotify and Pandora have a tremendous lead on them in that regard. So you've got to convince people otherwise uh, to to go over from those services. And I don't you know if it's not that stellar of a service, then I think people you know won't won't give it too long to give it a shot. But maybe they will. I think. You know the other the other thing that we're looking for we're not going to see anything about this this time around is is uh, you know in regard to the TV uh, environment for them I mean we know they're not going to be putting out a big Apple big screen TV but the Apple TV device and sort of what they're going to be able to do with that going forward again this lends itself more towards that services style uh, of revenue stream that they need to grow uh, because we've we've seen you know over long periods of time hardware tends to be a race to the bottom at some point. You know they're not able to maintain pricing power on those devices forever because they're always getting better. Um, one thing I did note that was pretty interesting with the streaming, the music streaming thing, and, and this is I think relatively unique. It sounds like they may actually make this product available for Android devices as well. And and if that is the case, I think that could be a big driver for them. That could be that could be something that really helps them out because while you know I, iPhones are are. A, a, Big part of the market share here domestically, uh, globally speaking. Obviously, Android is the bigger uh, shareholder there, and and so if this is something where they're able to cross platforms, um, that would be interesting to see sort of how the consumer receives that. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.